All right, if we could have the kids come on down. Come on, everybody. We're going over here. Right over here, Gideon. Right here, Gideon. Come on up, gather in. Hello. All right, uh, we've tried now to make this part of the stage yours. You own it. This is the kids' part of the stage. And so we're going to try to do it every week over here and stop switching back and forth and all that. All right, how's everybody doing this morning? Did you get enough sleep? Yeah? Did you brush your teeth? You did? You didn't? Your mom did? You get cavities if you don't brush your teeth, right? That's right. That's right. right. Do you know there's little sea creatures in your toothpaste? Did you know that? It's kind of wild. Not on your tooth. It's in your toothpaste. Yeah, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. All right. Uh, What book of the Bible are we preaching through? Does anybody know? Genesis. Excellent. What is the beginning of Genesis about? Or even what does the word Genesis mean? It means beginning. Good job, Watson. Holy cow. How old are you, Watson? Oh, he heard you say it? All right. Well, you didn't have to say that. You could have made it anyways. All right. So it's about God's beginning. He's creating. He is beginning this world and all things that we know. Now, after the first six days... What happened on the seventh day? God rested. God rested. That's right. So God got tired. A lot of work. He got really tired. And he needed to get into bed in heaven and take a nap, right? No, not at all. Does God get tired? Does he yawn? <sighs> he doesn't yawn ever. He never gets tired. The Bible tells us in Psalm 121 that God never sleeps nor slumbers. You'll hear in the sermon Isaiah that he never grows weary like we do, ever. So, if God didn't need a nap after creating, if six days of creating Mount Everest and the Pacific Ocean and elephants, if that didn't even make God break a sweat, he wasn't tired at all, What did it mean that the Sabbath is a day of rest? What do you think? He was done. Exactly. So Miss Terry made me this stop sign. It's just that he stopped the work of creating, and he began the work of ruling and providing for all of us. So God wasn't tired. He just stopped doing one thing and started another. It's a sign. That's right. (laughs) To stop the cars, that's right. So there was nothing left to create. Now, did God have to go back and like fix some things that he made because it wasn't quite right? No. Have you ever had to like, did your parents ever tell you to go clean your room? And then they went in and checked it and said, you didn't quite do it well enough. You got to go do it again. That happened? Yeah. Or sometimes when you, they told like go wash your hands and you come out and there's still stuff all over your hands. They tell you to go do it again. Does God ever do anything like that? He always does it perfectly the first time. Now, it says in Genesis 2, verse 3, that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. This day, 
this day is set aside for a few things. Does anybody know what the Sabbath day is for? Why did God give it to you? Give me one thing. Rest. Great. What's another thing God gave you this day for? Worship. Awesome. That's right. So people come and hear the gospel and spread, fill the world with it. So, and it's also, if you'll, we'll see. Okay. That this day is also to serve others. Did you know that? That when you guys come to worship, part of it is to care for each other. Look around at each other. Why do you sing songs? To worship God. But do you also know you sing songs to help each other around you? You sing songs to help your brothers and sisters. You sing songs to help others that they might believe the gospel. There are people who come here every Sunday who are very hurt and very sad and very discouraged and angry, and they need you to sing. Do you know that? They need you guys to sing. So did God sleep on the seventh day? What did he start doing on the seventh day? Taking care of us. So that we can rest and we can worship. All right, that's it. Thanks, guys. Head on back. Pastor Jeremy's going to go over there now and preach. All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me uh, to Genesis chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there are some in the seats in front of you. A few weeks ago, I was encouraging parents to continue to remain involved in their teens' lives, and I said something like, you know that all of your friends of your children are fools, and that's not quite true. Um, some of them are very godly. In fact, we had a young man who donated money, we didn't ask for it, to buy all these Bibles in the seats in front of you. Isn't that awesome? What a godly guy. And so on page 2 of the Bibles and seats in front of you, we're in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. One of the things that you and I, hopefully we, know about ourselves because of the fall, uh, John Calvin said it like this, nothing uh, that man's nature, that our nature seeks more eagerly is then to be flattered. Is that true about you? That's true about me. Um, I want to be flattered. In fact, I think our world defines love as flattery. If you aren't flattering somebody, you're unloving. If you're lying to them, and telling them they're good and what they're doing is good and flattering them, that's love, our will calls it. But if you'll ever say no to them, if you ever tell them what they're doing is wrong and harmful and destructive, you're unloving, you're mean, um, because there's nothing that your nature, our nature seeks more than to be flattered. What does that have to do with the Sabbath? Well, in the Sabbath, as we'll see, we're going to go through lots of texts, God finishes his work and rests, and he sets up the pattern for our lives where he already, at the very beginning, before the fall, embeds in us a reminder that we are weak and need rest. He doesn't flatter us. He doesn't tell us how strong we are. 
he tells us how weak we are already before the fall in our need for rest. Now, right at the top, I want to say, in, when, I like, when we preached the six days of creation, I didn't take time to say, well, there's some who think there's six days, there's some who think there's a gap after verse 2, there's some, and you know, I think the Bible reads very plainly there. The historic Christian position has been six-day literal creation. But here, in the issue of the Sabbath, there are good, wise, godly disagreements on if the Sabbath is still a thing for Christians, um, if because Christ's coming, as we'll see in Hebrews, has somehow kind of repealed it so that we no longer need to regard the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments of the Sabbath? Uh, I don't think so. But I, I want to say, I want our church on issues like the Sabbath and maybe issues like baptism to be very open-handed with each other. Uh, I want to convince you that the Sabbath is still in force and that we need to obey it, that it's still a thing. But if you disagree, I want to be really open-handed with you. Um, and vice versa and with each other. I, I don't want that uh, to be something that we would divide over. I don't like baptism. If there's somebody who holds that we are evolved from apes, I think that's a reason to fight. Honestly. The end result of evolution from apes is abortion. 60 million babies ripped apart in their mother's womb. Okay? That's, that's worth fighting over. I don't think this one is worth fighting over. I think it's important. You'll see how important it is in these texts. You'll see how central the Sabbath is in texts that I'm going to show you. What it's for, I think, I hope I convince you that it is so good for you. But I, I don't want to fight over it. And you know I'm a fighter. <laughs> I don't, not af- I, I'm afraid to fight. I don't like it. But I think it's worth it. So the main thing I want you to get out of this, as I said in our time of confession, is that in this one Sabbath, no, it opens up a world of yeses for our good, right? In one no of God comes just dump trucks full of goodness for you and for your children and for this world. And by our disobedience to the Sabbath has come many, many sorrows. All right, uh, let's read Genesis 2, 1 to 3. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work, that he had done in creation. Let's pray. O gracious creator, Father who has given us all of this good and provides and sustains it, you have dealt so generously with us. You are wise. You have given us so many great and precious promises. Please come now and continue your kindness towards us. 
Teach us good discernment and knowledge and grant us faith to submit to your holy word. It is eternal. And so, God, may we heed your word in this preaching as if you yourself are here preaching it, so long as it's pure and right according to your word. And so help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we begin in chapter 2, we see the completion of the seven days of creation, or six days of creation. Uh, Again, because of this, and when you see in Exodus 20, I see no reason to take the six days as literal six 24-hour days. If you read, I think, as plain as the nose on the front of your face. It takes a lot of work, and I used to do that work, to disbelieve what's right there in black and white in front of you. And so when he says, the heavens and earth were finished, he finished them in six days. One of the things that we noticed when we went throughout those six days is that God created by separating. You remember that? He separated light from darkness. There was this note of separation. God creates by taking a part, taking a cleaver and separating one thing from another. Light from darkness. Uh, Waters in the heavens and the waters below. Earth from water. Uh, And then man from all other creation. Then woman from man. So throughout the whole creation narrative is this separating, which again, our world hates. Our world wants to remove all distinctions. This is what the heresy of egalitarianism is. It's a removal of all distinctions. If you apply this this hell-bent drive to remove all distinctions, let's say to finances, you get socialism. You get no distinction among finances except those in charge. They, They can be distinct. They can have more money than everybody else, right? If you apply it to male and female roles, you get feminism, where there's no distinction between men and women. Um, And then in day seven, we see God again making something distinct, separating. This time he's not creating anything new. In resting and ceasing from his work, he still separates something. God is a God who makes distinctions. God is a God who takes one thing from another and does something with it. Why? Because God is the potter. We're the clay. He can do whatever he wants with it. And in day seven, he separates the seventh day from the first six and makes it holy, distinct, unique, for a special purpose. So on day seven, God uh, rested. Now again, as I said in the children's sermon, God wasn't tired Isaiah 40, 28, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. That's really good news, isn't it? Your God is never tired. He's never unavailable. He never needs a break. You can come to him in prayer. You can come to him anytime, always, and you will find him, the all-powerful all-sufficient God, always. He finishes work, though. He did it perfectly. I think this is great joy. What a God. Look at, look at this world. Look at how complex it is. Look at how wondrous it is. And God did it perfectly in six days. No problem. Not breaking a sweat. Nothing more to do. He did it. 
It, it wasn't like somebody who built a house and then 10 years later still needs to finish a trim. I said that because I, I have that in my house and you have that in your house. Right? He, he doesn't start a project and not finish it. He does it perfectly. And, and God put that work down and then he took up the work of governing and ruling and providing for his creation. That's what he's doing here. So that's what's going on in these verses. What I want to do now is I want to spend a, a few more minutes here in these three verses. And then I want to take you through one, two, three, four, five other kind of central Sabbath texts in the Bible. So you need your Bibles out. We're going to be flipping them. Uh, and I just, want to, I just want to show you the biblical teaching on the Sabbath. I, I assume that this isn't something you've been taught frequently, or maybe at all. I'm sure you've read these texts, but I just want to take a moment to, to just focus on some central texts in the Bible about the Sabbath, and it, we'll, we'll do application throughout. But I just want you to see uh, why I, I believe the Sabbath is still in force today. Um, so we'll be in Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Matthew, Mark, and Hebrews. We'll start in Genesis here. All right, so Genesis 2, 1 to 3. And I want you to simply see here is the Sabbath was something that God implemented. He did it. We are created in God's image. You and I are patterned after God. We are to follow him. And that even uh, goes to the extent of our week. The world still follows this pattern. If you look at any of the calendars, seven days don't make sense with how the sun rises and falls. It doesn't work. That's why we have to have leap years. Uh, the, the number seven doesn't fit well with the rhythm of nature. It, but it's the pattern that God instituted. Uh, and so the Sabbath doesn't begin with Moses. The Sabbath doesn't begin after the fall as a way to rein us in. The Sabbath is begun here by God as a way for you and I to pattern uh, our lives. And he calls it a holy day. Right? Holiday. I think it's one of the funniest things about Christmas and the uh, secular, liberal, um, who can't call it Christmas. We have to say happy holidays. Holy days. <laughs> they just can't help it. They, they can't not use words that God has given them. <laughs> they don't want to say Christ Mass, so they'll say Holy Day. <laughs> oh, I don't know if you think that's funny. You should think, I think that's funny. Um, it's nice of you to laugh. You don't have to. I'm in my own little geeky world here sometimes. I, I could sometimes, I think, preach to a room without people and still enjoy myself thoroughly. <laughs> I, I love you. I'm glad that you're here, but I just enjoy this. Um, so it's not that the other six days aren't holy. It's just that God does this throughout Scripture, like in the tithe. Why, do we, why does God command us to give 10% of our income? It's not because the other 90% you can do with whatever you want. It's that God sets markers, physical, tangible things that you are to do to remind you that in giving the 10%, it's all his. 
God sets up one day in seven as unique, as holy for him, so that you're reminded the other six are his. God, throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament especially, wanted to give the firstborn child, the firstborn lamb, the firstborn this, bring in the first ingathering of the crops. Why? Because it's all his. He wants to constantly remind you that there's one Lord who owns everything, who gives you everything, and you are to use all things for his glory. And so he sets up these markers, these physical acts that you and I are to take up by faith and practice, constantly being reminded it's all his. Jesus is Lord over all seven days. That's why the seventh day is special, so you remember that all six days. So you go to work on Monday after a seventh Sabbath and go, Jesus is Lord on Monday. Jesus is Lord on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, because seventh Sabbath, Sunday, Jesus is Lord. And so, if you remember back to the first sermon in Genesis, it's all about God. This world is shaped and ordered, even in our week, so that you are reminded, this is all for God. It's not about us. I mean, it is. He takes such good care of us. He does want us, as we just sung. But it's all about his glory. It's about God. So, primary thing here, God implemented the Sabbath. Okay? We pattern our lives after his life. Let's flip over now to Acts 20. Or, I'm sorry, Acts. Exodus 20, uh, uh, verses 8 to 11. Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Here we have the Ten Commandments. God has redeemed his people out of slavery. He's brought them up to the mount. He's entering into covenant relationship where he is Lord and Redeemer and they are his people. God promises to save them and provide for them and their part of the covenant is to obey him by faith. The laws were never given in order to earn his salvation. The laws were always given after his salvation. Look at, look at verse 2. How do the Ten Commandments begin? They don't begin with a command. They begin with the gospel. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the, house of, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, right? The commands always follow the salvation. God saves. He sets his people apart. And our response is glad, faith-driven obedience to God's commands. And the fourth command is the Sabbath. Remember, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Right back to Genesis. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. On the seventh day is rested, or, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God, in verse 8, commands us to remember the Sabbath. You'll see this not infrequently in the Bible, the command to remember. 
uh, your kids ever respond to disobedience, when you've asked them to do something, they've disobeyed, and they say, I forgot. Kids ever do that? That's only my kids. See, you all think the pastor's kids are more holy than your kids, and my kids forget all the time. And you know that's a moral problem, right? It's, it's not just an intellectual, physical problem. It's a moral problem, their forgetfulness to obey mom and dad. It's very convenient, isn't it? You know, they, you know, they tend to forget the things that they don't like, and they remember the things that they like a lot. <laughs> and so God is commanding us all throughout the Bible to remember In fact, one of the reasons that Israel is indicted in the prophets is because they've forgotten. They have forgotten who God is. They have forgotten what God has done for them. They've forgotten. They're indicted for the sin of forgetfulness. So God is here telling them to remember. What are they supposed to remember? The Sabbath. Then you'll notice in Exodus 20, in verse 11, the thing that the Sabbath remembrance is supposed to recall to mind is that God is creator. Okay? They're supposed to remember the Sabbath. Why? For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth. The Sabbath was given to them in order that they might not forget that he is the creator of the ends of the earth. Do you think it is just coincidence that as our world has rejected the Sabbath, we have forgotten that God is the creator and turned to lies like evolution? Do you think that's just coincidence? He's given us Sabbath worship to remind us that he's the creator. He he wants us to have this pattern of six days of work, of working hard Monday to Saturday, doing all of our labor, and then resting on the seventh so we can gather and say everything that happened in those first six days are from God. He's the creator. He's the creator. Okay, so just get that connection, okay? He's, he wants you to remember the Sabbath so that you can remember that he's the creator. So you can honor him as the creator, the maker of all things. And now turn to Deuteronomy 5. I, this was stunning to me. Deuteronomy 5 is a recitation again of the Ten Commandments. And in Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15... We have a recitation of the fourth commandment again, of the Sabbath. But now instead of God calling them to remember the Sabbath so you might recall that God is creator, he says, I want you to remember the Sabbath so you can remember that he's redeemer. Let me read this. Observe the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Remember, same as Exodus 20. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Same thing as Exodus 20. Same list as Exodus 20. But verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Exodus 20. 
Keep the Sabbath day so you can remember that God is your maker. That God made everything. Deuteronomy 5, remember the Sabbath day so you can remember that God is your redeemer. That you were enslaved in sin. As we sung, you had no power, no will to break out of it. And he has given you a weekly command to gather with God's people in worship so that you can be reminded that he is your redeemer. Here's the gospel, right? Here is the son of God hanging on the cross, taking our sin upon us, breaking the power of sin and death, going down in the grave. We go down with him, resurrected from the dead so we can be raised to new life. And you and I are prone to forget it. One of our moral failures as a result of the fall, one of our sins is forgetting the gospel. You'll leave here on Sunday morning and forget that you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We forget. And God is so kind to us. He, he wants you once a week to gather with God's people to remind it. Your Redeemer lives, and He is real, and He has paid the price in full, and you are His, and He will never let you go. And when you skip the Sabbath, you'll forget this. You'll forget this. Why does our world not know that there is a Creator, God? Why does our world not know that there is a Redeemer? I got no time for the Sabbath. This is one of the reasons we watch NFL football on Sundays, but one of the reasons I wouldn't, I'm not really that big deal on the whole kneeling thing. I think it's dumb. These high-priced babies whining about this stuff. But I still watch it. It doesn't bug me. What bugs me is that these men are kept from worshiping with their families. Our world is so far from God. That the idol in America on Sunday is not the Lord God who created the ends of the earth and redeemed us from your sin, but men playing a game. So in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, we are given this Sabbath as a gift, a no to work, a no to vocational work, So so that we can have a yes to knowing God. A yes to knowing that he's our creator and our redeemer. Let me give a a couple points of application here. Sunday morning is sometimes difficult. It can be difficult for singles. uh, Because sometimes singles will stay up really late on Saturday and watch movies. They need something in the home that gives noise and they don't want to go to sleep. It's lonely. So they are up really late Saturday, and so Sunday morning can be a real struggle. You don't want to get out of bed. And for families with young kids, Sunday morning can be (laughs) a time after which you have much need to confess sin. Right. Right. And so one of the points of application here, if the Sabbath is given you to come and know that God is your creator and redeemer, I'd encourage you to do some prep work to make Sunday morning as easy as possible. Get to bed on time Saturday. 
If you have kids, get stuff set out and laid out and ready. Get the breakfast bowls out. Make Sunday morning easy. If you're constantly running late on Sunday and you keep doing that, I would encourage you to figure out how long you need to get ready and then set your alarm clock so that you're up well in time so it's not rushed and it's not harried. Sometimes people come to church and I just didn't get anything out of it. And almost all the time they didn't get any of that out of it because of what they did on Saturday night or how frantic their Sunday morning was. Now there's other things. They could have had a really hard week or maybe the pastor was a jerk or whatever. Or maybe the person in front of them didn't shower. I don't know. But um, it's often just because of lack of planning. And, and you, there's guilt here, right? We'll, we'll plan for things that we really care about. If our kid's in a basketball tournament, we'll get all the food made and all the time, and when do we got to leave to get to the tournament? On time? We'll put a lot of forethought, and then Sunday morning we just don't. And isn't your heart revealed there? What do you love? What's the most important thing in your life? This should be. The second one is... Um, the Sabbath is given to us to know God. That's what this is for. Your conception of God is first formed by your father. Okay? And then second, it's formed by every Sunday that you sit in church hearing about God. Okay? That's what this is for. So you can know God. Isn't that a gift? What is the greater love in this world than that you can know God? What, what kind of joy is there but knowing God? So that's what this is for. One of the things that's happening in our culture has been happening for a number of years. Started, I think, in my when I was in the '90s, when sports, especially, but it, it can be music, it can be other things, where these kind of tournaments and events began to dominate Sunday morning. Okay, in the town I grew up in, town of Randolph, northeast of Madison, 30, 40 miles, Dutch community, church-going community. When I was a kid. Nothing was open on Sunday. If I remember right, I don't even think the gas station was open on Sunday. I think that's right. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's right. The, gro- the grocery store was not open. The convenience store, nothing was open. If you needed something, you had to drive 15 miles to Beaverdam um, to do anything. Randolph was a church-going community, and the Sabbath was honored in that way. They didn't make people work. I think it was great. I don't remember it being an oppressive thing. I think the Sabbath became legalistic. We'll see that in a minute. But I don't remember it being oppressive. I, I, I remember as a kid, it was, really, it, it, I, it was just the world I knew, so I, I don't remember like, thinking about it. But looking back on it, I, I remember it as a good thing. It was a, it was a fun day. Right? But then as I, I, I graduated high school in 94, so this is like late 80s, early 90s, that began to change. And one of the reasons it began to change, I think, is Randolph was a basketball community. That's our life there. We won 10 state championships, like 15 years. We had 300 uh, conference winning streaks. We didn't lose a conference game for 300 straight games. We played basketball. I played 300 games a year. (laughs) And I think that began to change the Sabbath. I think... My, I grew up never being allowed to play on Sunday, and then gradually my parents allowed me. And I think that began to change our town, where stuff started staying open and so on. 
And one of the things that happens that I have seen as a pastor, and I mean this in all seriousness, I have seen young people who grew up in Christian families going to good gospel-preaching churches walk away from the Lord. I think it's primarily due to their parents consistently missing church because of other events. I was at a men's conference a couple years ago, and uh, they had kind of the main sessions, and they had breakout sessions. And they had like three or four chunks of consecutive breakout sessions. And uh, my first two, I believe, were in the same room. And so I went to the first one, and I just sat in the room because the second one was in the same room. And there was just me and another guy in the room. And I could see the other guy was a, a bit upset and wrecked. And so I started talking with him. And I don't even remember what the topic was. I don't even know if it was about this, but this is where our conversation went. He just said, I, I'm, I'm realizing that my son's rebellion against God, my grown son's walking away from church, walking away from the Lord, just going into sin, was primarily due to me prioritizing baseball over church. This is what he said to me. He said, I realized that um, I thought I was doing the right thing for my son. I thought baseball was important. I thought he loved it. And so we miss church all the time for baseball. And he said, now I realize that my son is not a Christian, probably primarily because of that. (laughs) I think he's right. I think he's owning his responsibility in a very right way. Now, his son's rebellion is his son's guilt. He's not responsible for that, but he's bothering. And that's happening. That's happening. It might not be sports. I don't know what it is for you. It can be something else. But if the Sabbath has given us to know God as creator and redeemer, and we constantly neglect it, and our kids see us more passionate for things other than gathering with God's people to know the Lord, if they see us hoot and holler with all kinds of passion at this, but hardly sing here, what is that teaching? What is that saying? Right? We are creatures created to worship. We're going to worship something. Everybody's a worshiper. It's either God who's created and Lord formed on the Sabbath or something else. And so young people, ah, man, I, I just want to say there's nothing more important than gathering with your church family on Sunday morning. Nothing. There's nothing more essential to your eternal well-being, to an eternity in God's presence, fullness of joy, than what we're doing right here. Nothing. There's nothing more detrimental to your soul, to your eternal soul, than this. So young people, just sober up on this. This is one, if you're a young person, You are under the authority of your parents. And you are to honor your father and mother. But if your father and mother are consistently leading you away from church or allowing it, you should not follow them there. Wives, if your husband, who you are to submit to, in 1 Peter 3 it says to obey, if he is leading you away from worship, you should not follow him. You should do it respectfully. 
But you have a Lord in heaven that you are to obey before your husband, where your husband would tell you to disagree with it. You should do that to this culture. Okay? All right, so that's Exodus and Deuteronomy. Let's go to Matthew. Matthew uh, chapter 11. Now we're getting into, so why do I think the, the Sabbath is still a thing today? Well, all the other nine commandments are still a thing. Right? Why do we just say the fourth we shouldn't do anymore? Right? Does any of you think that it's all right to commit adultery? Because Jesus came, we don't have to you know, remain faithful to our spouse. I don't get it why. I mean, I love my brothers and sisters who disagree. There are some close friends who disagree with me on this. Um, I just, I don't know why, where you see in God's word that you get to neglect one and keep the other nine. I don't get it. I don't see it. And, and, and Matthew 11 is, is one of the main ones too. Uh, so here in Matthew 11, beginning in verse 28, I wanted to bring, begin in verse 28 uh, because Jesus starts, introduces this issue of Sabbath with this really wonderful explanation of why God gave us his law. Come to me, all you are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for yourself. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. What is the yoke and burden that he's talking about here? It's obedience. <laughs> it's his law. He follows right after it on the Sabbath particularly the Sabbath. What yoke, Jesus, do you want me to put on that's easy? What burden do you want me to put on that's light? Sabbath. (laughs) You want rest for your soul? You want come to Jesus who is gentle and lowly and high to find rest for your soul? Doesn't that sound so good? Rest for your soul. Doesn't that sound good to you? What wouldn't you trade for that? You would trade your house. If you were in your right mind, you would live in a, a dumpy shack and have rest for your soul than in a mansion and have turmoil internally. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you trade your beauty? If you could have internal peace, wouldn't you give to that? For that. And where, where does he go right next? Sabbath. <laughs> How many of us are internally in turmoil because we do not honor the Sabbath? How many psychological issues, mental health issues, which are issues, are happening in our world today because of neglect of this thing that Jesus has given us to give rest in our soul? Isn't it staggering how God gives us very simple, doable things that bring huge blessings? Like what he's telling us to do is not beyond anybody. And the benefits we gain by simply obeying by faith are huge. So look at what he says. All right, so they're walking through the fields on the Sabbath. They're hungry, so they pluck grains to eat in these do-good Holy roller Pharisees, man, look, you're doing a lot lawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus takes them to the word of God, to David when he's hungry, ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful to eat. 
Isn't that awesome? I love Jesus. Man-made rules, he breaks them. I love, I mean, really, I feel good because of this. If you know me, <laughs> uh, And then he says in verse 5, have you not read how in the law the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? And I tell you, something greater than the temple is here, him. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, then you would not condemn the Sabbath, for, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, this is striking. We see a couple things here. On the Sabbath, I'm sorry, we we would have to continue on. Jesus then enters in verse 9, the synagogue. There's a man with a withered hand, and Jesus knows that they'll condemn him for healing him, doing this work on the Sabbath, and so Jesus does it anyways. So he says in verse 12, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. That's important. So one of the questions is, what, what can we do on the Sabbath? One of the things you can do is do good for others on the Sabbath. You can work serving others on the Sabbath. Okay? That's one thing you can do. I think sometimes churches would focus too much on what you can't do. Um, Christ and God's would often focus on what you can do. Uh, so that's one thing. Take care of others. Now, take care of doing things that cause others to work. Can I say it like that? You know what I mean? Our world doesn't give people rest today. We cause people to work seven days a week. Crazy swing shift kind of things. And I would just, this isn't the law, Okay. I just encourage you to get your shopping done on Saturday and, let pe- I mean, make businesses want to close on Sunday because there's just not much of it. Let people have a break. I think that's a good thing to do. Again, it's not law. I think our world is better when we did that. All right, then you see Jesus saying God's word trumps man's law. Right? They had added all of these stipulations to the Sabbath. You can't do this. You can do blah, blah, blah. And Jesus said, listen, he draws out this very obscure thing of David eating the bread on a Sunday, and he uses it to say, he can pick grain on the Sunday. What's wrong with you people? You can break man's law all the time to obey God. So that's in. But then the stun, most stunning thing here is Jesus in verse 8 says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Who made the Sabbath? God. Who said that? Charlie. Not an adult in the words in this whole church said God. And how old are you, Charlie? Three. A three-year-old. I said, what's wrong with you people? Goodness gracious. Good job, Charlie. God did it. Genesis 2. Who is Jesus saying he is? Absolutely. If you want the clearest place in the Bible to prove that Jesus is God, here it is. You imagine the boldness that Jesus Christ had? Do not think him a hippie, soft guy. To say this took, I won't use what I want to say here, guts. Okay? He stood up in front of the religious elite and said, in Genesis 2, when God created the Sabbath, 
at me. <laughs> I'm Lord of that. And we should all fall on our knees right now before him. He is Lord. He is ruler. The one who galls you to a Sabbath rest is the one who shed his blood and rules you. Don't forget how detailed Christ intends to rule your life. He tells you what to do on days of the week because <laughs> he loves you. All right, let's go to Mark 2. I, I'm going long. You are, I'm, I'm not even going to ask. Let's just, this is good, right? Mark 2, you didn't get enough sleep last night. Let's preach longer. <laughs> uh, Mark 2, 21. Same thing going on here as in Matthew, but he draws out a little something else. And I want you to focus on verse 27. So same thing as in, happened in Matthew. Mark is recording the same event, but he tells us something else that Jesus said. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He says that again in verse 28. He heals the man with the withered hand again in chapter 3. They pick the grain and all that. But then he, he tells them the Sabbath is made for you, not you for the Sabbath. It's a present. You shouldn't let anybody crush you with God's law, with all these kind of man-made stipulations and whatever. Nothing in our church is meant to steal joy and take life. It's all meant to give it. It's all meant to serve you. God's law is given for you. Obedience to God's law is meant to bless you, to give you joy, to give you prosperity, to give you good. It's not a takey thing. How many commands were there in the Garden of Eden? One. How many no's in the Garden of Eden? How many yeses? All of it was yes, one no. One no on what you can do on the Sabbath and a million yeses. Okay? You should say amen there. That's the kind of God you have. Fathers, this is the kind of house you should build. You don't want a house full of no's. Sometimes moms overuse the word no. Right? Don't sit there. Don't touch that. Don't do that. No, no. And husbands, you need to love your wives there and help them to not do that. It's going to cause a fight. Right? But husbands, really love your wives. They don't want to be like that. It's hard. Their jobs are hard. Being around the kids all day is hard, hard work. It's harder work than you're doing. And one of their temptations after a hard, long day is going to be, no, 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 yeah, stop going down. And just take over. We, you want a house full of yeses. Because God is a God who has a world full of yeses and, and a no. Because God is a giver. He gives. All right, then Hebrews 3. I'm going to flip. We're, so we're working towards the back. Hebrews 3, way towards the back. Here we see that the Sabbath ultimately is about Jesus. Sabbath rest isn't just a physical day of rest. It is that. It is a day of cessation of, of your regular work. You work six days, you rest on the seventh. The Sabbath is ultimately about resting from your sin. It's about being rescued from your sin. So he uses the 
issue of Israel who was saved out of Egypt, but they were still unbelievers. They rebelled against him. They didn't have faith in him. And so God in verse 18 of chapter 3 said they're, they're, they would not enter his rest because they were disobedient. So he's exhorting us, don't be like that. Don't have hard hearts. But he says in verse 4 that there is still a promise of rest. Because Israel rejected faith, there's still a hope of faith in Christ. So if you're an unbeliever here, sometimes people like you would say, I've done too much wrong, there's no hope for me. It's, it's exactly the opposite. He only saves sinners. I'm, I'm wicked. If you knew me, you would be surprised that God saved me. And all the other people here too. There is still opportunity for all kinds of all sins to come to faith in Christ and receive rest from your sin. And you know sin destroys you, right? You're living it. And, and he came to save us. So in verse 2, it's good news that we need to unite to faith. And he connects it in verse 4 to, to creation. And then he exhorts us in verse 8, Today, if you do hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever then entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from him. Therefore, let us strive to enter that rest. So Christ is the point of it. So the Bible's story goes like this. It begins with a Sabbath. It continues on with weekly Sabbaths. And it ends with an eternal Sabbath. That's what's going on in the Bible. God begins with a day of rest. He carries it through with weekly reminders of that rest of our need for Christ, and he ends with a forever rest. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? So hold firm to Christ. By faith, it's all about Christ. All right, so just in quick review, and then I'll close. God created the Sabbath. You can on the Sabbath, the Bible encourages you to do on the Sabbath is rest. Like naps are good, walks are good, rest, worship, gather with the church to worship, and serve. Deeds of necessity, where you have to do things in order to serve each other, are welcome and good. This, this day is meant to serve you. It's meant to bless you. Jesus is Lord over it. And it's the main theme of the Bible. All right. I think that's enough. Is that enough? All right. Let's pray. I had another page. <laughs> Father, I praise you for your goodness towards us. Your, your laws are beautiful. They're wondrous. They're life-giving. They are right and good and it reveals how good you are. Praise you for Sabbath. Thank you for rest, for worship and service. Thank you that you intend to give us rest for our souls in this day, to remind us of your goodness, that you're creator and that you're redeemer. And so God, work in our hearts that we would see this day for what it is, how good it is. 
that it wouldn't be something that we go into skicking, uh, kicking and screaming, but that we go into a joy because you're so good in giving it to us. Um, and so God, help us here. Help us to grow in our obedience to it, um, uh, to glorify you and do good for us and others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The charge is this. I think you can see that the Sabbath is good. It's a good command from our good God. And so pray for faith to believe it and obey it. So God wants from us is our glad obedience driven by the faith he has granted. So pray for that and pray for faith to believe that it gives infinitely more than whatever take from you. The Lord bless you from Zion. And may you see prosperity in all of your life, all the days of your life. May you see both your spiritual and physical children's children. May God's peace be upon you, his beloved people. And amen. I love you. Have a great week in the Lord.